All right, let's uh, let's talk this morning about a very important aspect of our ongoing conversation about uh, Christ and culture, and um, I think something very important for us to be able to understand is what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God relates to uh, the kingdom of this, this world, this earth, and uh, where we live and dwell um, day by day. Uh, there, uh, there is a, uh, an important relationship between uh, the two kingdoms as we understand them from the word, um, and we'll, we'll look at that this morning. So um, I want to start by asking, though, what is, what is our hope? As Christians, we talk about hope. The Bible uh, is constantly pointing to this reality that we have hope. But what are we hoping in? What is it? What is it? Uh, what, what are we? What are we looking toward? An abiding city. Okay, good. What else? Eternity with God. Good. An everlasting relationship with God. Okay, good. A resurrected body, right? Uh, that's, that's our great hope, uh, and that's a promise to us uh, given from God's word, but because Christ has been raised from the dead, we too will be. What else? Okay. Yeah, so part of that relationship we have is that God is continually faithful to us and and. Uh, a part of our hope, apart from this world, is that we will have everlasting uh, communion with God that is unhindered by uh, sin and, and uh, the things that hinder our communion with God uh, here and now. Good, I would also say we hope in the restoration of all things, right? That God makes all things new and the new heavens and the new earth will, uh, will come to be. And uh, in that, we have a great hope uh, that as we live life now, we look around and see brokenness and suffering and, and pain and trials and temptations and all these things, uh, that all of this will pass away and uh, the Lord will make all things uh, right and new. Um, so my point in all of this is to say that our hope uh, at least should not be, Sometimes it is, but it ought not to be in the things of this life that we experience day to day. Um, our families, our work, um, our political processes, whatever it is, um, the things of this world are not our hope. Our hope is in uh, what uh, is promised to us in uh, the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God the kingdom of man or the common kingdom or uh, the kingdom of this world, however you want to describe it. Theologians have used all sorts of different things to say it. Um, but um, there is a relationship between the two that is very important for us to understand if we are going to be able to interact rightly with culture as Christians. Um, but where do we get this idea? Where do we get the idea of the kingdom of God um, and uh, and the kingdom of man, where anything in scripture kind of come to mind as I use even that language, Steve. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, when Jesus prays in John 17, I think you're referring to, when he's talking about, um, you know, he's going to be with the Father, but he's, uh, he's leaving his people behind. He's not taking them with him. And uh, he, he, he asks the Father to make us faithful as we live as a people in a broken world. And so um, I, I think there is a, there's a, a picture here of two kingdoms being, um, being compared, that one is uh, perfect and, uh, and holy, uh, while the other is still broken and yet calling for faithfulness in the midst of it. Yeah, good. So all throughout the Gospels, we have Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is already here. Uh, the kingdom of God uh, is not of this world. So we have all this language throughout the Gospels. Um, Augustine talked about the city of God and the city of man, same kind of language. The cities, uh, he was uh, comparing um, uh, if you ever read his uh, great work on the city of God, uh, that's the focus, is comparing the two kingdoms. Um, uh, Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Pilgrim is, uh, Christian is making his uh, pilgrimage to the celestial city. Uh, it's the great city that is promised, the new Jerusalem, uh, which is the heavenly kingdom. Uh, so we, we, we hear this language all of the time. Um, uh, we're, we are said as Christians to possess uh, the kingdom of heaven, uh, that it is ours, it is our possession, a kingdom uh, where we will be comforted and satisfied and granted the inheritance of all the earth is what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, as was mentioned already, Jesus uh, commands us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, um, Thy kingdom come. We want your kingdom to come and, and be fully, uh, completely, and totally um, established in, in its fullness. Um, so uh, we talk a lot about living now in this period of time between uh, the already and the not yet. The kingdom has already come in Jesus. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been inaugurated but it has not yet been fully consummated, that it is not uh, yet, uh, we're not yet there in, uh, in its completeness. And that reality being that in between the already and the not yet, we live in the kingdom of, uh, of man, the kingdom of this world. Um, so um, we, have to, we have to make the distinction. Which kingdom, as Christians, which kingdom are we citizens of? Okay, heaven, both, yes, we're citizens of both kingdoms, right? Yeah, uh, it's true, we have a dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of, uh, of Rincon, Georgia, uh, in the United States, I am a citizen of heaven, right? Now one has a priority over the other, however, I have a dual citizenship. If I didn't... If I was just a citizen of the kingdom of heaven without recognizing my citizenship of the kingdom of the earth, then my whole life, uh, I, I wouldn't have any obligation uh, in the way that Jesus talks of to uphold the laws of the land. I wouldn't be obligated to that because those are things not uh, commanded by uh, God specifically. They're commanded uh, by the law, the rule of the land. Um, and Jesus tells us very explicitly that we are to, um, to adhere to it. 
so we have a citizenship um, here as well that is important. We need to take seriously. Um, what were, you think about uh, all the people who were following Jesus, not just his disciples, but all of the others as well, whether they liked him or not. Um, what were they always bothering him about? What were, they, what were they thinking he was doing, he was there to do, he was there to be? What was the whole uprising about? Okay, so for the disciples uh, especially, they wanted to see Jesus come. They thought he was the king who was going to lead the great, uh, the great army to destroy the Roman uh, power and to establish Israel as the, the central kingdom in all the earth. Good. Did you have? That was it. Okay. Uh, what, what about the Pharisees and uh, even the Roman officials? What, what, was, what was their deal? Okay, good. They thought the same thing. They were just afraid of it, right? Uh, all these people are following him in three short years. He's gained quite a following. Um, these people are going to, uh, there's going to be an uprising, and we're going to lose our power. We're going to lose our influence. The Jewish leaders thought um, that um, he's, going to, he's going to come and, and upset our whole system, um, but, you know, it was all couched in uh, religious language. They, they were concerned about the purity of, of, uh, of Judaism. In reality, they were concerned about not losing power. They had all the power of, uh, of the Jews. And so uh, they sought to trap Jesus, to force him to openly declare that he had revolutionary implications um, that uh, were going to play out uh, as uh, he came to establish himself as the new king. Uh, what, what, was, uh, what was placarded above his head on the cross? What did it say? Yeah, here is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so it was a mockery. Uh, remember when they were crucifying Jesus, they said, if you're a king, uh, command, you know, if you're God as well, it was sort of this dual thing, uh, command, uh, you know, that you would uh, you'd be taken down off this cross. Save yourself. Um, you know, they, they, they dressed him in purple uh, garments and put a crown of thorns upon his head, and it was all a mockery of this idea that he was a king of a kingdom. Um, but Jesus' response all along the way was describing the difference between uh, this present age um, and the age to come. So one example is when uh, they came to him and they tried to force him to talk about um, the implications of his kingdom for things like marriage and politics. So remember they came to Jesus and they presented this uh, this quandary that he was supposed to sort out uh, about uh, marriage. Um, so they said, you know, suppose a, uh, a woman is married and her husband dies, um, and then she marries again, which she was, uh, was lawfully able to do, and then he dies, and this goes on and on and on, and she has several husbands, and all of them have died. Uh, when she dies and goes to heaven, which one will be her husband? They thought they had Jesus trapped here. Uh, likewise, they, uh, they asked him about paying taxes. Um, 
and uh, they, they wanted to, to know if uh, he was going, and the, their hope was that he was going to reject the idea of paying taxes, uh, because then they would have a way to catch him and to trap him uh, so that they would, uh, they would be able to imprison him for um, trying to incite the people to revolt against the government authorities. Uh, but Jesus presents the difference between the two. As far as marriage, he made very clear that man and, uh, is married here on earth, that we have these relationships. They are to be um, held to and conducted in a certain way. Uh, the scriptures are full of instruction for marriage, um, but they also tell us that once uh, one of the spouses dies, uh, that marriage uh, is no longer. There is no marriage or giving of marriage in heaven. Um, if you're like my wife and are married to me, that makes you sad. <laughs> Some of you are awake. <laughs> but Jesus makes very clear that there is a distinction here, right? There's a distinction between the kingdom uh, that we are living in, this world, this realm that we are a part of here on this earth, that is, is very distinct. It's different from the kingdom uh, that we will uh, enter into. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see, you know, I think as you kind of are keyed in more and more to this idea of these two kingdoms kind of coexisting, you see these things stand out a lot more. Uh, what was the issue with taxation? How did Jesus respond to all of that? Yeah, okay, good. So he said, he even said, hand me a coin. And they hand him a coin. And he says, whose, whose image is on this? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. Well, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and render unto God what is God's. Right, so we, we have this distinction. Uh, what they assumed, I think Jesus was going to say, was that, uh, you know, either, well, we're not members of this kingdom, we're not citizens of this kingdom, so it doesn't matter how we do that, it's not a part of, you know, I don't pay taxes in Nigeria, because I'm not a citizen of Nigeria. Uh, but the Lord commands me to pay taxes in the place where I am a citizen. I have a legal obligation to that, as a citizen of this kingdom. Um... Uh, I think it was mentioned before, Jesus' trial before Pilate revolved around, um, in part, whether or not his kingship was a challenge to the, the, the dictatorship, really, the uh, monarchy of, of Pilate, um, of, of the, the Caesar. Um, so Jesus' point all throughout, he's saying the kingdom is not of or from this world. His point's not to say that the kingdom does not pertain to material things because we know that the kingdom will transform all things and make all things new. Um, but that is not of this age and specifically of this sort of secular age. In terms of politics, that means the kingdom of Christ is not like a secular kingdom. Um, Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been what? Fighting. But they're not. Instead, his kingdom rules through the proclamation of the truth for all who will listen to the truth. Right? So how is the how it, it implied in that is the way that the kingdoms of the earth are propagated is through uh, is through war, is through bloodshed, is through fighting. The way that the kingdom of God is propagated is through uh, the truth of his word. Russ, did you have your 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, that the, uh, that's a great point. That, <laughs> um, he's not saying that this is the way it should be, but this is the way that it is. This is the nature of the secular kingdom, the kingdom of man, that uh, the borders are advanced through, uh, through bloodshed. Yeah, that's a great point. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, now, Jesus' disciples didn't quite get this, right, when he was on the earth. What were they arguing about? He rebukes them for this. What did, yeah. Who will be first in the kingdom of God, right? Um, and all of this, I think, probably stemmed from an earlier argument that they had about who gets to sit at his right hand. Um, and then uh, another time, um, they uh, even got their mother involved. Um, <laughs> it's like kids' moms who like call uh, their professors in college to complain about their grades. Like, grow up a little bit, handle your own business. <laughs> um, so, you know, we have we have all of these arguments throughout with Jesus on the earth. Um, who is going to be my, uh, my right-hand man, my left-hand man? They're thinking this is what Jesus is trying to sort out with the disciples. And all the while he's saying, you just don't get it. You don't quite understand it yet. Um, and they were still hoping for a physical kingdom. But there's a tension. There's a, there's a, a I can at least understand why the disciples would think this? Because Jesus said things like, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which is absolutely true. Jesus created it all. Jesus has authority over it all. And so, no doubt their assumption would be that he has come to rule the day. Now, based upon covenantal promises from God, why would they have assumed that even further? What was God's covenant with David? Yeah, that his line would be established forever and it would, uh, it would be fully and finally realized in this, uh, this uh, once and for all king. Um, and so they knew very clearly that Jesus was from the lineage of David um, and that he was saying he was a king. He was uh, displaying through his actions all of the reality of his kingship, um, of his being the Messiah. And so, of course, their assumption would be uh, he's going to take the throne of David. Did he take the throne of David? Yes. But is the throne of David a physical throne? That's the question. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. And I I want us to see really how frequently, this is just one example, but how frequently there is this distinction between the two kingdoms. Uh, Paul Paul dealing in in Ephesians 1 uh, with uh, these things that we give glory to God for. And he he really deals uh, with man's salvation, God's electing work to call his people unto himself to the praise of his glorious grace. But he makes mention here in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians and verse 21 of the two kingdoms. Someone read that for us. Great. So you see, you can see the two kingdoms here, right? Not only in this age, in other words, the secular authority, this kingdom of earth, but also in the one to come. In other words, the kingdom of God. Um, so Christ's authority is... 
uh, is over all. Um, Verse 22, Christ is not only uh, head over all things, but in him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, um, Paul writes in Colossians 1, are reconciled to him. Uh, In him all things exist, is another way that Paul says it in Colossians 1. Um, The entire creation, Paul deals with in Romans 8, is, is groaning, waiting for transformation that is yet to come until uh, the kingdom of God uh, establishes a new heavens and a new earth, that all of this is made new. A very uh, famous quote uh, from um, a theologian named Abraham Kuyper, there's not one square inch of creation over which Jesus Christ does not claim mine. Uh, He is a ruler over all things. Similarly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that outside of Christ, there is only abstraction. Everything that exists is under the power and the reign and the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ, whether or not people want to claim him as the universal king. You know, we we deal with that and our own people will say, well, that's not my president. Well, whether you claim he is or not, he's your president because you are a citizen of that um, nation, that kingdom. Um, in very much the same way, people say, well, Jesus is not my king. Well, whether you want him to be or not, he is. Um, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, but what does the Bible tell us to do? And here's the big question. While we are citizens of heaven, we are still citizens of earth. So what are we to do while we live life on this earth? What, what, is, what is the purpose of being in this dual citizenship. Uh, Christian theologians have, class, uh, have generally called uh, what we're going to talk about natural theology, uh, or natural law, I guess, uh, better stated. Um, the authorities that God has ordained um, to rule the kingdom of this earth fall under natural law. So we have uh, civil government. Uh, What else? What other authorities are we called to submit to as citizens of the earth? Police, okay, so that's part of civil government. What else? Parents, good. Yeah, so uh, employers, teachers. uh, It's not so much an issue in our Context, but he even gives instruction for those who are servants and slaves, right? So all of this comes through the Word of God to say uh, that we have uh, to submit to uh, the governing authorities of uh, this land, of whatever culture, uh, excuse me, whatever uh, nation we are a citizen of. Uh, and this is a fundamental point. Because it's been in the name of the realization of the kingdom on earth that certain um, people who sort of hold to more of a social gospel have advocated very destructive um, policies that have been subversive to that order. Um, So uh, there were the Anabaptists of the uh, 17th century... um, in Calvin's day, they're liberation theologians of our day, if you know anything about that. Um, but what we see happening is people advocating for things like uh, 
a millennial revolution. So the idea being uh, that um, we need to overthrow any and every force that opposes um, the people living on the land that was once promised to the Israelites. And so uh, you see the rise of things like uh, Zionism and, uh, and Christians uh, giving and throwing all support behind anything uh, that is, uh, is from, uh, I want to say this rightly because I don't, I don't want to, um, again, this is the difficulty because we try to commingle our ideas about God and his word with what happens uh, on this earth. Uh, so should we as a people be supportive of a nation like Israel? Well, that's a political question. Uh, as God's people, do we have an obligation uh, to Israel? Well, that depends a whole lot on how you understand uh, the relationship between Israel and the church. Um, what I would say is that in the current conflict, for example, um, the Israelis and the Palestinians are battling back and forth. We have brothers and sisters who are Israelites, we have brothers and sisters who are Palestinians. Um, and so we need to respond as citizens of heaven and recognize that we uh, want to see transformation in that place. Uh, but what does ultimate transformation come down to? A proclamation of the truth of God's word, uh, not through um, the sword. However, another um, destructive way of dealing with all that happens in this kingdom on the earth is through something like pacifism. The Bible is not a text of straight pacifism. That was one of the errors of the Anabaptists. Um, we have an obligation to protect life. And sometimes protecting life means that um, life is taken. We have an obligation to things like justice um, through retribution, things like uh, capital punishment. Now, there's a difference between the theological, the theoretical ideas of these things and their actual practice. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked and a lot of things worked through. Uh, but for centuries, Christians have held to something called just war theory. And um, there are many, many principles that we look to in Scripture to say whether or not entering into conflict is actually just. Now, we could, uh, we could spend a whole lot of time looking at any conflict we've ever been a part of, as a nation anyway, and determine whether or not they've been just. That's another conversation. But in theory, um, we understand that Scriptures teach that there is uh, such thing as just war because uh, we are in a kingdom that... Um, is, uh, is handled according to the sword. Uh, Paul himself makes reference to that in a positive light, doesn't he? Where does he do that? Romans 13. What does he say? Okay, good. They do not bear the sword in vain. What is implied there is that the sword will be used. That there's a place, a proper place for the sword to be used. Now again, this is theological, 
the practical outworkings of that are a lot more difficult. There's a whole lot of questions that need to be asked and worked through. Um, but to just pass it off and say, Jesus um, rebuked Peter for using his sword against the guards who came against him, therefore we all need to be pacifists, um, is, is not what the Bible teaches. Um, we've seen things like uh, communism turn to scriptures and, uh, and look to the Bible and say the Bible advocates communistic living. So we have a common ownership of all goods and everything belongs to everyone. Um, that is a complete denial of, uh, of God's law and the Ten Commandments. What is the, what is the implied opposite command of uh, do not steal? Good. There is a right to one's personal property that have ownership over certain things. What's that? Yeah, that I'm not coveting someone else's things. Um, things like, uh, we could go on, radical feminism, same-sex marriage, all of these fall into these categories of making, uh, of failing to make the distinction between the two kingdoms and how life is conducted in those kingdoms. Now, some of these things I bring up, and maybe even some of them I've even mentioned this morning, they kind of get your heart racing a little bit and you want to, um, you want to rise up and argue about them. Uh, that's uh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> we can do that sometime. But um, I'm, the distinction I'm trying to make is to say that there's a really uh, there's a really important um, balance that we need to strike in viewing the things that we are going to encounter in our world. Um, we can't simply cast everything into one kingdom or the other. There is an overlap, and we need to understand how that overlap works. And I think the Bible gives us direction uh, in, in working that out. So remember, early on, we were asking the question. Uh, we looked at several different ways Christians have sought to interact with culture. Uh, I gave you four different ways. I think we're driving even more toward understanding um, that uh, there is a very specific way the Bible calls us to do that, um, that is not simply ignoring the world and trying to isolate ourselves from it, not simply embracing it in total, but also realizing that there is a kingdom that awaits us that is not of this earth, and so this earth doesn't become that kingdom. And so that leaves us with uh, the fourth option that we talked about, is that as Christians, we live faithful lives on this earth. We live for the good of our neighbors. We seek to, um, to do good unto them and live for the welfare of the city. But in the end, um, realizing that I, I can't bring restoration on this earth that will eventually usher in the coming kingdom and that uh, all that this is will just become that. Uh, they're two different kingdoms. And I need to focus uh, the reality on... My being a citizen of heaven, therefore dictating how I live as a citizen of earth. And knowing that I have a future hope. My hope is not in what is accomplished here, but in what has already been accomplished and promised to me uh, in the life to come. So I'm going to stop there and uh, ask for any uh, comments or questions, and we'll pick up there uh, next week. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, how many? I mean, Jesus said these things over and over and over again, right? Uh, the kingdom's at hand. The kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom is already with you. Over and over again, he says these things. And it was simply a matter of them not quite understanding exactly what that looked like. 
They were waiting for him to overthrow the powers that be to, uh, um, to find his way into the, the throne room in the kingdom and he was going to sit there and reign and rule over all the earth. Uh, not quite the same uh, authority that he proclaimed uh, in terms of having all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a great, great point. Anything else before we close? We'll pick this up next week and deal with uh, probably some more uh, specifics of this. And I want to keep thinking through this relationship between the two kingdoms because I think this will help us. Um, uh, The next place we go after that is to think then about um, the place of the church in the kingdom of earth as we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Um, It's a very distinct role that we play as the people of God. So let's pray and we'll uh, prepare ourselves for worship. Father, thank you again for this time. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you don't leave us uh, to sort out how we live this life on our own, but you have instructed us. You've given us all that is necessary uh, for life and godliness. And so as we look to your word, we pray that you continue to instruct us, uh, to, um, to encourage us, uh, to strengthen us, and to give us greater hope in the life to come. Lord, as we make our way as pilgrims uh, to the great celestial city, we pray, Lord, we do so faithfully as citizens of this earth, a people who are living and dwelling amongst a people of unclean lips, as uh, your prophet Isaiah has said. May we faithfully proclaim to them the truth of your word, calling them to repentance, uh, that they too might become citizens of heaven. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.